Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. Hey there, thanks for joining us. Today we have Eric Martinez, who is CEO of Module, a national company that creates wearable technology to keep employees safe. His interest in workplace safety and productivity led him to start this innovative company. And Eric is a mechanical engineer and he chose the topic of challenge. And here's a little bit of what you'll discover in this episode with the three bullet summary. Learn the business from the ground up. Always be curious and don't let the embarrassment of asking a question get in the way. Building close relationships with your peers can be invaluable when seeking a promotion. Enjoy the episode. We have a very illustrious guest today, uh, Eric Martinez, and CEO of Module most recently, but also previously of uh, many interesting assignments throughout his life. And uh, of the 17 topics that we like to cover in engineering leadership or that we're trying to, to get you exposure to, Eric chose challenge today. Um, and just to tee that up, Eric, that one of my favorite sayings or statements that I make to my teams um, is that one of the most dangerous statements you'll ever hear uttered when you're in a business situation and, and it often comes up is that, well, we've always done it this way. Um, exactly. and I think, you know, I, 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 uh, I can't think of how many people have been endangered or perished or, or just missed massive opportunities because they were in that mindset of, oh, you know, we don't need to challenge the status quo. We don't need to push back the boundaries. You know, we know what we're doing. Right. And it's, anytime you assume you have the answer, right. It gets pretty scary. So, so I'm excited to chat with you about it. It's a, it's a, one of my favorite topics of all time. And, um, you know, Really want to hear your story today. So thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. Looking forward to it, Doug. And I agree with you on challenge. Um, it is. It's, you just see this world changing so fast, and uh, so many business models just blowing up. You know, left and right. And whether my old industry of insurance, uh, you see the banking and the new apps. My son was talking about the Acorn app or his change is rounded up to be able to go invest in, you know, that's at their fingertips to Tesla and how they reshape the automobile industry and Ford and GM and the Chrysler are all having to reinvent themselves. And these are some of the longest, most standing companies that we have. And, and so I agree completely with you and, uh, you know, look forward to sharing my story around challenge because uh, I think one, it can help, uh, a new person getting into a company, a new employee getting in there and saying, you know, you hired me to challenge. I mean, because I'm just out of school. I'm the, I know the latest and greatest. I'm coming from the one of the best schools out there. And, you know, part of the reasons why they're getting hired is to challenge that status quo. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the discussion. Great. Well, starting there, I mean, how, what, you know, obviously we, we're our audience, our target audience for these sessions is really the students and, and young engineers of, of, of all stripes. Um, you know, 
How do you think about coming into that? And I think about my first few jobs and, um, you know, striking that right balance of, hey, I just showed up five minutes ago. So what do I know? Right. And and like you said, but being that, you know, playing that perhaps catalytic role of, hey, have we ever looked at this differently? Have we thought about it this way? And you know, handling that on the sort of interpersonal social side of things to, you know, not be written off as the smart aleck kid, but, you know, be taken seriously and have the right amount of respect and how you go about it. Right. Like how to, any advice on how to get that right early? Yeah. Yeah. How to get it right early. I think that's the, that's probably the key to everything, uh, you know, is timing. Um, and there's always a time where somebody will actually want you to speak up and understand hey, this is a problem. And, and you're right, you can be that smart alecky kid or the know-it-all that somebody just hired. But you, you know, the biggest skill that you're going to be bringing in there is kind of your, your newness, the looking at the problem by a fresh set of eyes. And, and, and they don't want to hear it from that on day one. Guarantee they don't want to see that. But in the six-month mark, they're going to want to start really trying to figure out this investment they have in you. And what can you bring to the table and the equation that, you know, what you can offer. And so I think what you as an entry level employee really need to understand in those first six months so that you can be that agent of change or a catalytic or bring this, this new thing that you learned over here and your experiences in your life is to really learn the business from the ground up. Um, I was fortunate at my first job that I hired out of Clemson working for Atlanta Gaslight Company. I was a distribution engineer and basically worked in the ditch. And my boss just said, I want you to learn every single job at this company that makes the natural gas flow. And that's what I did the first six months. I worked with meter readers and distribution guys who dug in the street and service guys who did the tech calls in the home. But I fundamentally understood how that work happened. And so the skill sets that I brought in later uh, with my ability to problem solve was able to start, you know, kind of challenging, why are we doing this? I understand a better way, but you got to, you got to put your dues in. Nobody wants to hear from me at day one that this is the better way, but you got to understand what the do, what dues you put in, but what are those dues? And it's really kind of understanding that structural driver on how that business works. Yeah. yeah it's, it's putting in that, putting in that hard work, right? Um, to really make sure that. Yeah, my favorite saying is the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, and I, I'll come back to that in, in a bit because I have, I have a, one of the questions I always like to ask everyone is, is when did that switch really go off? And, um, but, you know, thinking about that challenge of the status quo, right? And, and how much of it in your thinking comes from, sort of that innate sense of, or at least for, for me, I've always felt like part of my interest in being an engineer and part of why, I, you know, I was so attracted to it early on was I'm, I'm curious. Like I'm always trying to figure out how stuff, I mean, I, it doesn't really matter what it is. I want to know how does it work? Why do we do that? What, you know, so, you know, and I think that's one of the things I try to encourage in our folks here is like, Hey, don't, it's not about showing up with an answer or, being a know-it-all, like you said, or, or, or trying to be the smartest person in the room. It's, it's about having authentic curiosity about, well, just ask why, you know, why are we doing it that way? And what have we considered? So is that, 
you know, I, 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 you know, it's interesting to me because I think there's certain points in your life that you think you have to be the know-it-all at the table, right? I, I made supervisor, so I should know everything my employees do, or I made manager, so I now have this, or now I'm an executive, and I have to be the know-it-all. And I'll come out of meetings sometimes, and I'll go to a guy, I said, do you understand what he said there? And he goes, no idea. And you're like, well, why didn't you ask? And, and what, you know, you have to be, you have to make sure that that light always stays on for intellectual curiosity and don't let your personal hubris stand in the way that says, you know what, I'm really embarrassed to ask that question. And, and what, as you see, and as your career progresses, you'll see that this intellectual hubris will get in the way of actually, of actually you learning of what really is what the fundamentals of that decision-making. And that's when you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, you're going to get in another meeting and you're going to repeat something that was said in the meeting, but you don't understand the why that went with the what. And, and, you're, and, and you, what you could have been done in that explanatory meeting, the lead up to whatever the ultimate penultimate decision was, you don't understand the fundamentals and the, what's going on. And so, you know, it, we can talk about challenge, but this challenge it, it around intellectual curiosity, I 100% agree that, you know, in you know, my own career, I mean, I'm at, you know, 52 years old and I learned how to do AI, you know? And so, you know, how many 52 year olds, can, you know, artificial intelligence, hire a bunch of data scientists and learn with them every day. But I wanted to understand this because I do think, you know, some of these kind of skills and trends are important. And if I continue to hear it, next thing I know is I'm building AI models for bad and not for good. And, you know, that's not who I want to be. I want to make sure I understand and make sure I can do my company serves the good of the world and not the bad of the world. Well, and I think that gets into, you know, I'd say two things that I've experienced is one, most all of the major mistakes I've ever made is because I thought I knew the answer when I didn't. Um, And whether I, you know, whether through, like you said, hubris or just sometimes, uh, being in a rush, right? Just thinking, oh, I got that answer. I don't need to, I don't need to stop and pause and, you know, think about, well, and it's like you said, context is so important as well, right? Because it's what's, you know, somebody hands you a page of information. Well, you can take that at face value and it may well be 100% true, but what's not on the page? And it's always that, you know, what's the next layer? What's the surrounding context? Um, it's one of the lessons, too, that the kids need to know is the complete truth matters. Uh, their bosses can handle the complete truth and not a spun truth. And if you set up your boss to fail, you'll fail. And so you're, you're, you're whoever supervises you and manages you. And if you're the manager, you have to expect the complete truth. And, you know, uh, because somebody understands the other side of the argument really, really well. And they will pick apart your thesis or whatever you're trying to stay because you didn't really understand exactly what what the whole issue was. And because some data point was not going to, you know, was going to make the argument weaker. Um, The the whole issue here is just getting to the right solution. It's not whose solution. It's just getting to the right solution. And, you know, if you start putting your name on solutions, you won't get to that complete truth, that complete open and transparency of how we get the problem solving and get to the right answer. Yeah, I think we, we had a discussion earlier and we were talking about, you know, folks who sort of are only really interested in using the data to make their point versus to discover the, the real reality, right? And 
and it gets back to the you know lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? Sort of statement that I don't know who it's attributed to really, but you know it's it's so very true. And it, I think even today's and you mentioned AI. I mean, I think the other sort of you know data analytics and just big data and so much of that now, where you know, I, and I think and and we know that there's a you know there's just a lot of that that's presented to us with quote the data or the the real facts that seems to be just packaged to make a point, right? And, and, and I think that critical thinking, getting to, you know, getting, getting back to our topic of challenge, like the ability to critically pick stuff apart is so, I think, endemic to engineering. Like, I think, I think that is fundamentally what we're trained to do in many ways is, you know, take a big complicated problem or assignment or construction or, you know, program and break it down into the most digestible pieces and then build back up to a complete solution. Right. Um, but that it's it works, funny, like we're trained right? in that way, but then some people don't apply it to these other situations and they'll just take it right at face value and say, okay, you know? Yeah. I've been, you know, I, fortunate and unfortunate to work for AIG fortunate. Uh, the fact that I was part of the turnaround and unfortunate to actually see kind of the reasons why of the failure you know, and what happened and, and, you know, the mortgage-backed security issue and the black swans and how, how compounding facts and how compounding uh, uh, what I would say little risks turned into big risks. And, you know, and, you know, the people above them didn't really understand what they're actually trading in credit default spreads. And, you know, Bob Ben Moshe came in there and just turned around the place, but made sure the people in charge actually knew the products that they were managing. Um, and what we, and I think what's important there is it going back to that engineering point of view is that in engineering, we kind of understand the basics of how to solve a problem, uh, that scientific method. And you sit there and say, Hey, what are you really going to take out of your engineering degree? Let's see. Um, <laughs> I, I think when I look back is probably more about the way to think and solve a problem is because the, the problems are going to get challenging and more challenging and you're going to have to figure out a way to kind of solve that problem on your own. Uh, but I don't use thermodynamics anymore and no one's, you know, but I did well in that class, but, um, right. <laughs> but, you know, but this kind of the why things work going back to this kind of theme on challenge and then how do you bring that uh, why things work mentality into the office um, when you're not going to be in an engineering job. I, I mean, I think Doug, you're not doing engineering and I'm not doing engineering. Uh, but we both think about our engineering degree as teaching us how to think. Yeah. Now my wife still reminds me to this day that I, I've never had a real engineering job. She likes to tell me. She's a mechanical engineer from Clemson as well too. So she's a, she's in your school over there, but, uh, yeah, and it's true. I mean, I went to work for Exxon out of school, but I immediately after doing my training stints in the refineries and along, like kind of like you, that six months sort of immerse yourself and, and they actually had really good programs to, to do that and, and sort of make sure you did it. And, um, but then I quickly went into sales and marketing and wanted to deal with the people side of things. And, uh, yeah. you know, you brought up another great point and I think um, it's probably a good, maybe a little bit of divergence, but I did want to ask you like that. When did that, when did the switch for you really go off between like, okay, I do have great tools. I've got this, way of thinking to break things down, solve problems, get it done to realizing like, 
well, that may be true, but if I continue to do that just as an individual, there's really limited impact I can have, right? I mean, no matter how hard I work, no matter how many hours I put in, right? And that, you know, making that mindset shift to like, okay, I can, I can apply that same way of thinking to building excellent teams, helping other people succeed, getting, you know, the right butts in the right seats, right? As you build out a company to put that winning formula together. Um, but it's, you know, that, that lights for me, it was a, it was a painful light switch moment that I'm like, wow, like, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm either going to get there and figure out how to motivate a team of people and help lead them because to solve what's in front of me, there's no possible way I can do it myself. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. I, I, I probably had the same kind of light switch moment. Um, you know, I think, you know, the first five years of your career, or even seven years, you're, you're learning how to be a manager. You're learning the planning, organizing, directing, and controlling skills. And you're really not learning how to be a leader. Um, And so you can do your budgets. You can do all your performance appraisals. You can get all that stuff done and check all the boxes. And I went to kind of one of those management classes at the gas company, Atlantic Gaslight Company. And I was kind of on their fast track. I was one of their youngest executives at 30 years old. Uh, managing distribution operations in Georgia. And they played a poker chip game with us, all of my peers in the room, where everybody was given a different color, given four chip, three chips and five people in a circle. And you gave a chip to everybody, and then everybody, a blue, red, white, or no chip, and everybody kind of explained why they were getting a chip and why they were not getting that color chip. And what was real, what the realization to me was the reason why people were getting chips and the support it was the support network that, that they created. And it was as that I trust Bill, I trust Brian, I trust Jay, I trust Julie. And why did they trust him? Well, you know, when my dad died, I went to their funeral. Um, you know, when I had a baby, he sent me a card or a note. And they were developing a relationship based upon trust, not just upon technical competence. And luckily I was 28 or 29 years old and I had pointy elbows and I was the young gun guy, but a label enabled me to slow down and realize that I'm leading a bunch of people that want to know that I care for them and that I really want them to do well. And once to me, that was my light switch is because I didn't get all blue poker chips. I got a red one and a white one and I got none. And here I was sitting there thinking, wow, wait a minute, you don't know this. I'm the youngest executive at this company. You know, I should be getting all the, all the blue chips. Everybody knows I'm the heir apparent. And um, it really was kind of a slap in the face for me thinking I knew everything there was to know about natural gas distribution, but I didn't know how to be a good leader. And what are some of the small things I could do to show I care? How do I, you know, you know, slow down enough to make sure that my employees and my peers, you know, the three different what constituents you have besides maybe not putting customers to a side for a second, but your employees who work for you, your peers on each side of you and your bosses above you. What I was basically getting told I was managing really good above, but doing terrible to my peers. And what you find out in your career a little bit later, it is your peers who get you promoted and your employees and your bosses are just hearing those praises from them to get you into the next position. 
And so that was my light switch moment and how kind of how I thought about how I needed to change my own personal style of not being the smartest guy, the better spoken guy or whatever else that, you know, people thought of me, but being that guy out there that kind of said, Hey, I'm looking out for your career as much as I look out for mine or even more and really kind of turning into a servitude leader. Yeah. No, it's, Thanks for sharing that. I mean, it's, I think it's so, so important as we, and I think particularly this is sort of the, the impetus behind, you know, why these topics for, you know, around engineering, right? And, and, you know, there's a million, as we started, you know, kind of putting together this kind of framework and just the, the objective to even have these kind of discussions, part of it was, and, and my wife asked me, she's like, well, there's a million leadership books, there's a million leadership topics, there's and I said, yeah. And I said, there, many of them are quite good and, and impactful. And I've read dozens of them. And, but I do think, I think what you just described is really important, right? Because um, one, I do think, while not, you know, 100%, I mean, engineers do have a certain tendency, right? I mean, we, we like to get to the data. We like to get to the facts. We like to get to the you know, the, the truth of the matter as it exists in terms of things and not necessarily people, right? And um, where I see, you know, I think leadership can come to others perhaps more naturally just because they do, you know, they're, they're in professions that are either very people-oriented from the get-go, like their success at their very thing they've chosen to do is, is all about the people from day one. So it's, you know, obviously a little more, it's more obvious to them. Um, but I do think that's, that's why we wanted to really cover these matters is like it, you know, we believe that leaders can be built and aren't born, right? It is, is not, I mean, and, and the beauty of it is, you know, whether you're short or tall or whether you've got a rocket arm or can't throw it to the 10 yard line, none of that matters in terms of leadership. Anybody can be a leader if they work at it, they're disciplined about it. They think about others and come to come to recognize that, you know, the minute you start caring about everybody else's success a lot more than your own, you've taken the first step on leadership, right? Yeah, if we could make that one point to them, Doug, of, of the employees, if you worry about, you know, having the being that Bill Belichick of your company and saying, hey, listen, I have this many head coaches around the league. And that's kind of, you know, the way I think about my career. And when I look back, you know, kind of at AIG and AGL resources is saying how many people that used to work for me are now in high executive positions, whether in those companies still or around the country. And I said, yep, I had a, I had a little finger on that. And, you know, and I had a, you know, I was able to, you know, so that's, that's kind of how I look at it as well is just that, you know, and they would look at it the same way. I think we, you know, one of the things I try to instill in the employees that work for me is that you have to help somebody else. You know, you have to get, you know, it's not just about you. We got to make the whole company better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think also remind and you mentioned peers and your employees getting you promoted. And, you know, one of the things that we just had a discussion last week in my company was making sure that we have to remind folks that, you know, if you're looking to grow, you're looking for that next assignment, you want to get promoted, like, you know, you should be thinking about how to make yourself unnecessary, right? Like, you know, how does, how does, you know, you've passed on all your knowledge, you've taught everything you could, you've learned from those folks around you, um, you know, you've built that support system where when you're not there in that moment, in that situation, things work great, right? 
And then you know, that's how everybody knows, like, okay, you're ready for the next thing, right? Yeah. Um, and it's not worry scary. about being that person that has the answer every time, right? Yeah. That's a scary role to put yourself in, um, to how to make yourself obsolete or because you have to trust and trust as a company and say, yep, that's the goal and they're going to have something else for me to challenge me next. And, you know, once you get that level of proficiency in your job, you, you basically are, everybody will know you're ready to move on. Everybody's going to say, wow, that guy, you know, the, there's a reason why companies do performance evaluations. You may hate them, but when everybody's singing your praise on the performance evaluation process and whether you do three below, three, you know, two above and how, however the process works, uh, you know, if they're doing, everybody's not, if everybody's doing it the right way, the, the people that rise to the top are the ones who build their relationships and, you know, and, and get that proficiency of their technical skills, but get the proficiency of your uh, leadership skills. And um, yeah, and I think it extends to, you know, the business strategy too, right? As a leader and, and part of what the challenge topic is sort of a, in this family of categories that I've put together, you know, I call over the horizon, right? Of really being willing to look at, and I tell people like, if somebody's going to put us out of business, that better be us, right? And it's like, and we're doing things. I mean, we did an initiative um, that we're working on a massive project with, with Amazon on some things. And, you know, it, in a way it is competitive with many of our other current business lines, but if it works, it, you know, we they offer the scale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd just be like, well, it's worth it. Like those other ones we'll, we'll set them aside and move on. Right. And it's, but it's, I think, being willing to challenge those kinds of situations, right, as a leader um, is, 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 is so important because that's, you know, the, like I said earlier, the big mistakes are really coming from situations where you think you have it figured out. And you're not willing and not doing the math to understand where to put that chip down. That's a good chip to put down. You know, obviously I, I got the same situation with my Amazon deal too, Doug. Yeah. It can send me off into the hyper orbit or, you know, if it didn't work, we're still okay. We got enough around. We got enough business. But if it does work, it, it does put the company on a total different trajectory. And so you got to have chips, all different types of chips on the board uh, for success. Um, that's well, and I wanted to just for a few minutes talk about, um, you know, one of the other uh, sort of values and, and indeed constants in, in my work as certainly as I've, and oil and gas is, you know, there's lots of dangerous things that people do for a living, but, you know, we are handling you know, very volatile materials all the time. And we're asking even, you know, uh, you know, we have truck drivers driving a 9,000 gallon load of gasoline through rush hour traffic in the middle of Atlanta. Right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, that can be pretty scary stuff and the consequences are extreme. Um, so I wanted to ask you to just say, tell us a little bit about module. Cause I think, you know, it seems to me like you guys are really applying you're, you are challenging this sort of paradigm around safety. And, you know, for, for those of us, many of us engineers in, you know, in dangerous, uh, industries that have an inherent risk just by being in them. And it's always something we have to manage and, and be, you know, top of mind with as we, as we make sure we're protecting our people. Um, you know, it, you know, it's a, it's a safety first isn't a slogan. It's a way of life in what we do. Right. And um, it seems like you guys are really setting a, a new boundary for these, these technologies. 
So we're trying to we're trying to be the preeminent uh, workplace wearable, um, you know, that does injury and ergonomics and a whole health a bunch of things. But you know, it takes me back to AIG. Um, we were spending about nine point eight billion dollars on employee injuries a year when I was running claims for AIG, and we were one of the biggest pill pushers in America with opiates. And, you know, we had a lot of employee injuries and we were treating them not by getting to the root cause of the injury sometimes, but sometimes the doctors, it's not up to us, the doctors were treating it with pushing pills. And, but I kept on thinking, okay, why, you know, we're pushing pills with injuries, it's our largest cost. And, but what's causing that? And then, but no one at AIG could actually explain why this was happening. It was a fascinating article that just came out last week in the Seattle Times that Amazon was putting robots in the warehouse, but they were delivering product faster than the human body could actually do it, so it, which was causing repetitive motion injuries in, with the Amazon employees. And so as more they modernized, they were actually increasing their employee injury count, not decreasing it. And getting to those type of root cause problems was fundamentally lacking in today's business world. And so instead of pushing pills on employees, what I wanted to do was get it to the root cause of why employees were being injured. And that is basically excessive movements, different types of movements and putting your bodies in positions that they were gonna be at risk at. And, and how do you do that without video cameras everywhere and recording everything that's doing done? And so we you know, put sensors on a small wearable device and used artificial intelligence models to actually show how many times bends, twists, erratic driving behavior was happening, how much rest break do they have, anything like that that we could pinpoint as uh, a problem area uh, for an employee. And what we found is that we could do it. And that was it. And, but the challenge that you know, you have today of implementing technology into the workplaces, everybody's used to looking at the same data they've looked at for the last 15 years. And Johnny has to do it, right? Because he's been on the job for 15 years, he's never been injured. Well, Johnny also, when he turns 45 years old, wants to be able to pick up his grandbaby or 50 years old and, and play, still play out football in the yard and throw football with his son. But now he's complaining about his aching back because he did it wrong for 20 years. He just didn't have the right mechanics. And, and so that's kind of the mission that we are on is to really help employees when they turn 45 and 55 years old to actually have that same well-being as when they're 30 and 35 years old. And, you know, and the good companies get that. Um, you know, I, I look back at Febreze when they first sold their product, they try to sell it to people who own cats and who smoked. And, and in the book Habits in New York Times, they talk about their business model was going out to sell Febreze to people who own cats and smoke, and it did terrible. And what they found, the people who bought Febreze were actually people that actually kept clean houses or is using it as a reward after they cleaned the house. I think you can look at kind of module or wearable technology in the same way. Yes, we can definitely prevent companies uh, to prevent injuries today, but we're also for companies that have good safety records that just want to show to the world that they have good safety records and here's the data. And so we see kind of two things for our business plan, but I do think the wrong way to do it is to push pills and, um, 
and mask the injury with opiates and other types of ways and employees are just going to work, you know, hurt. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the mission I was on or a mission I am on. It sounds a little, you know, blue sky and wow, you know, left coast and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, 9.8 billion, there's a, there's, there's a lot of thousands, tens of thousands of employees getting injured every month that you just don't realize. And, you know, you go, a lot of that can just be stopped with just some simple technology. And uh, the funny thing that was always striking to me is why hasn't this been done before? And I said, you know, one of the analogies I always say is that the suitcase was invented who knows when, you know, people are carrying luggage around in suitcases and in the wheel that, you know, the wheel was invented with the caveman. Right. But they didn't put wheels on a suitcase till 1970. You know, so the fact is, is that we're moving pretty fast in today's society to try to put these other pieces of technology together to help solve problems. And so sensors weren't designed to begin with to put it on the human body to measure body mechanics. And that's what we've done. And, and so it may seem simple, the simple thing with a Fitbit, it's basically using a step. But now we can figure out a whole bunch more with body mechanics and so that we know how you're doing it when somebody's not watching um, and so that was my challenge, Doug. I, I wanted to make how we look at employee injury different in the workplace and not just go based upon, hey, they have five accents per 100 or three accents per 100 employees. They must be good because they're not looking at the employee, how they're walking around when they're 42 years old or 50 years old or 58 years old. And can they do the same job like they did it when they're 30 years old? And, you know, I think that's kind of the, that big world problem that I'm trying to solve. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a major opportunity. It's a major, I got to tell you, we, you know, as a company that is very focused on safety, and I think this is, in, in, you know, as a young engineer, I have to admit, I didn't, you know, you're young and indestructible and you don't think about it as much yourself and you don't think about it as much for your people. Um, you know, what I've certainly come to understand as a leader is, you know, I mean, it's, um, if you don't get that right, nothing else matters. I mean, I tell folks, you know, my, it's not hard for me to figure out my worst day at work, you know, cause we, we had a fatality in 2018. Um, and you know, I was able to, it was in, it was in North Dakota. I was able to get there in four or five hours and, um, you know, didn't on my way, wasn't sure what the situation was. And then you know, quickly got there and had to, you know, had to go to the wife's home and meet yeah, the kids and, yep. and tell them that, you know, their dad wasn't coming home. And, um, you know, there's no, nothing else, you know, compares in terms of relative importance. Uh, and it's, you know, I tell folks like, don't, I hope you never have to pay that tuition, you know, as a leader, right? Because it is, uh, it's not a lot of, it's, 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 a, it's a tough day. And um, so much that we can do. And I think, um, as you said, engineering the root cause out of the situation is really the solution, right? It's, it's um, we can write policies all day long. We can have, you know, you can monitor things to death in terms of try to sort of in the, in the old fashioned way prevent, you know, the behaviors, but there's an amazing lack of true data. I mean, and you talk about body position and body mechanics. Um, you know, our, we have so many of our workers are, you know, they're, they're turning, twisting, pulling, 
very heavy, you know, hoses and pipes and then positioning those things. And, and so many of our injuries are in those areas, um, particularly as our workforce ages. You know, we have, we don't have a lot of, of folks in those jobs now in their 20s and 30s. So many of our folks are already in their 50s and 60s still doing that work. Um, and it is harder for them to stay safe and stay protected from these kinds of injuries that you mentioned in particular. They have, they've mastered the other stuff, right? The, the things that some of the younger folks will, you know, ex- take safety risk on. Um, you know, they're still doing this work because they figured out, like, you know, really you can't do those things. You know, don't speed in traffic when you're driving a bomb, right? Bad idea. Um, but, you know, these other things, the, the more nuanced, mecha- you know, repetitive mo- motion, um, and just having the right body position for the leverage that you need to, you know, execute that, that work safely is, is, it's incredibly important. And, um, you're working on it. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's an area of, of tremendous potential. And like I said, anybody who's working to keep our employees safer, you know, has my vote. It's just, uh, nothing more important we could be working on. So. Thanks, Doug. And I I, I like it after my big world of corporate to come back and do my own thing, hang my own shingle, build my own team from scratch. Uh, You know, so everybody's handpicked and it makes life a lot more fun. And they say, you know, what is it? You wake up. I I don't feel like it's work. I wake up every day. My wife will say, you know, the companies that we talk to are the best companies in, you know, the world, so to speak, uh, Amazon and Mondelez, but they all have these, some process somewhere that they just don't understand that's causing some issues for them and we can help them out. So we, we're going to start now monitoring like how many injuries we have prevented since we started. And so that's going to be our fun, our, our new kind of mantra. Well, and it gets back to, you know, again, that's, uh, ins- you know, having an inspire message, getting people to rally around that. Help yeah, that's the, you know, having that North Star and everybody has a, a bad story like yours, Doug, not everybody, but everybody has, you know, some sort of impact in their life, which has been interesting as I started this company who tells me a story like that. And, you know, it, it, people remember, I mean, if you're, you gotta be a robot, if you don't remember that type of visit to North Dakota, I mean, that's going to hang with you for a long time. And I can remember pipeline explosions and guys in the hole and they didn't, you know, didn't ground properly or they weren't wearing all the right protective equipment and, you know, basically in burn units right. and sitting there with the families and, you know, uh, you know, it goes a lot to culture and it goes a lot to body mechanics and, you know, and I think, you know, putting data out there does both. It changes the culture and changes body mechanics. Engineering Leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills. You can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com.